0: You're bringing something that people want, which is development. Everybody we meet wants to to develop beyond where they are today. So a charismatic leader needs to demonstrate to that individual, by you coming and working with me, I'll make you better than you are today. And that's what we look for because those people are like magnets. People want to work for them. And if they want to work for them, we will attract the kind of talent that will enable us to grow the business and to scale it.
1: Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of the Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is James Kahn. And James is joining me from across the pond. Are you, are you in London right now, James? I know you're a, you're a globetrotter. I uh, know today I'm in sunny Monaco in the south of France, so... Uh, a beautiful part of the world. I was just there this summer. I rode uh, with some friends, our bikes from Paris to Nice. And we, on our last day, we rode over to Monaco. So you are in a beautiful spot. And and James, just by way of introduction, uh, I'm not going to do you justice, but I think we could say you're a serial entrepreneur. You're a philanthropist. You have founded multiple globally successful companies. You're also a panelist on a TV series that Dragon's Den... You've uh, you know raised money, you've you've been knighted, and uh, and you've written written a book. So James, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. Delighted to be part of the show, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. Thank yeah, thanks for being here. And you know, uh, among the many accomplishments you have, the one that that uh, I think is going to be the focus of our conversation is your perhaps one of your more recent uh, enterprises, which is this organization called Recruitment Entrepreneur. And we'll we'll come to it in a moment. But really, it's your You've spent a career in building leaders. And so we're going to talk about, you know, everyone who listens to this podcast is really curious about, you know, what it takes to be an exceptional leader. And so we're going to delve into that. And I think you've got some unique insights there. But let's just back up. As as I said, you've had, you've had this incredible career. So give us the Coles notes. Take us through your career. What has led you? What are some of the achievements and, that you're most proud of uh, that people listening uh, should know about? So my career began,
0: like a lot of young entrepreneurs, kind of in my early 20s, when I had a passion of starting my own recruitment organization. So like a lot of people, I came up with an idea, uh, wanted to set up my own business, came up with the name Alexander Mann, and what I really wanted to do was to create something that was differential in the market Mm -hmm. and alexander Mann was born and it was set up with me the yellow pages and the telephone and a tiny broom cupboard in london's pall mall and you know with a lot of determination a lot of grit a lot of ups and downs like most businesses it didn't just happen Mm -hmm. um you know there were a lot of roadblocks along the way. The idea that we had had never been tried and tested before, so it's quite unique. The concept of RPO had, didn't exist. So finding clients to sell something that they'd never had, had, never been introduced to the market before, that was a real kind of game changer of getting people to sign long-term contracts. So Alexander Man by no means was a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an incredibly challenging business to launch finding people to execute something that had never been done before also was very different because the people we were hiring were not 360 recruiters. They were more like account managers. That model didn't exist before. The way we sold the proposition was different to what recruitment was sold. So nothing about Alexander that, to be blunt, was easy. But like many things, if you believe in something, if you genuinely convince yourself, that you believe there is a market opportunity, you just have to convince the market of what you believe in. You know, we knocked on door after door after door where people just weren't interested until somebody turned around and said, What you have is genuinely unique, it's different. And, you know, it's like everything. Once you get the first customer, all of a sudden the doors start opening. And so Alexander Man was born. And over time, we've grown and accelerated that today. Alexander Mann operates out of 20 countries, 8,000 employees, um, nearly 1.6 billion of revenues, and is
1: coming ranked number one in the world as the largest talent solutions company. Incredible achievement. And I know you, you started in 85 and you sold it in 2002. And of course, it's only continued to be successful. But you also started another company, Humana International. T- talk to us a bit about that one, which you started at the same time while you were building Alexander Mann. What was that? What was the vision there? Keen to, to build an executive search brand. Mm-hmm. As you know, in our industry,
0: executive search is seen as the kind of premium end of the market, It's the service tree that we have. And I really wanted to build something in that kind of top end executive search level. So we launched a brand called Humana International. It was a startup. We came up with a name. We came up with a brand and, you know, started our first office, got it up and running, and then successfully grew that to 147 offices in 30 countries around the world and eventually successfully sold that to a public company in New York. And that was my real kind of first foray into the kind of global recruitment world where having operations pretty much in every country around the world. Um, was, for me, incredibly exciting, very intellectual, learning about different markets, sectors, cultures, people, you know, economics. Obviously, each country is different. You've got different corporate governance, regulation. You know, so for example, only in Japan, sounds easy, but in Japan, not only does the recruitment company have to be licensed but so does every individual. Wow. So Every individual, you have the license before they can trade. You know, in the Netherlands, you can't set up a company unless you've got a managing director appointed. You know, in Dubai, it took us four months to open a bank account. Wow. So when you grow, every country is uniquely
1: different. Hmm. And and the challenge of building that on the global stage, I mean, I think that's kind of a foreshadowing of of recruitment entrepreneur, but along the path of building these and building and ultimately selling two successful companies. When I look at your career, what I see is someone who is passionate about entrepreneurship. And I see that showing up, not just in the ventures, the business ventures that you launched, but also like you're, you're joining Dragon's Den, you know, the, the loans that you provided, startup loans, allowing businesses to start. Talk to me a bit about this passion in your, in your career for not just your own entrepreneurship, but helping other entrepreneurs? Where did that come from and how did that play out?
0: Um, so, where that really started, Bart, was I just kind of out of the blue got approached by the BBC because of my success as an entrepreneur and the success of Alexander Mann and the success of Humana International. That caught their imagination. Mm-hmm. About, you know, here's somebody that clearly has a a, a very unique track record in building and scaling businesses and approached me to see whether I'd be interested in joining the panel of Dragon's Den. And at the time, it seemed like a crazy idea because <laughs> I'm not a TV person. You know, I'm a recruitment guy. I, you know, I love winning business. I, I love building assignments. TV was something I would never in a million years have ever thought myself doing. But it seemed like a bit of fun. And they invited me to Pinewood Studios where Dragon's Den is shot in the UK, and they said, look, why don't you come and do a couple of days in the den and and see how you feel? I went along and met the other panelists and just had an absolute blast. It was so much fun meeting the entrepreneurs, listening to their pictures, coming up with their ideas. It was just fascinating. So I was on the show for nearly five years and made 14 investments whilst doing the show. And that really got me into kind of understanding the broader dynamics of entrepreneurship because obviously prior to that, most of my time was dedicated in recruitment. Right. And here was an opportunity where I was meeting entrepreneurs in all walks of life and in different industries, different sectors. And that gave me much a much broader spectrum. And on the success of Dragon's Den, um, it inspired me to write a book called Start Your Own Business in Seven Days. And the book became a bestseller. And the book was over a thousand entrepreneurs walking into the den. And, and to be blunt, how so many of them had made so many mistakes and lost all their money. And it made me realize that sometimes people start businesses when they don't really understand the commercial dynamics. They think because they've got a good idea, it can be converted
1: into a business. Right. And unfortunately, that is not true. So this was about helping them protect themselves from themselves. Yeah.
0: And then that I wrote the book and the book became very popular. It somehow landed, of all places, on the desk of the Prime Minister. And what, they, what the UK government had recognised, they were being very challenged with their ability to create jobs because technology was changing the way businesses were run. Even in local government, it was becoming more efficient and there was a general consensus that over the next 20 years, we're just not creating enough jobs. And on the back of reading my book, what they realized was actually every time you create a business, you create a job and you create job creators through entrepreneurs. Hmm. And therefore, why don't we look to make Britain a more than an entrepreneurial society and encourage entrepreneurship? Love it. And what they recognize is to attract entrepreneurs, you don't need a civil servant or a bureaucrat. You probably need an entrepreneur. Yeah. And because of Dragon's Den and because of writing the book, they approached me and said, Would I be interested in helping the government launch an organization to back entrepreneurs to build businesses in and um, you know in a wide market segment? So not just recruitment, but in the hotel industry, yeah. the hospitality industry, you know, in leisure. And I said, it sounds fascinating, but I only have a job. I'm, I'm <laughs> super happy in what I'm doing. Right. Um, and they said, look, you know, we're setting aside, you know, a billion dollars that we'd like to allocate to you that you can effectively go out, identify individuals that you believe have the passion, the excitement to doing the business. And if you believe in them, you can back them. I said, you know, um, sounds really interesting. Would I have the opportunity to invest in any of these businesses myself? And they said, no. Mm -hmm. And I said, why is that? They said, well, that's considered conflict of interest. You can't use government capital and then cherry pick businesses. So (laughs) either you invest in all of them or none of them. And I said, well, I just don't have a billion lying around. (laughs) So it sounds like I'm going to invest in, I can't invest in any and I said, would I be paid for doing this? And they said, unfortunately not. And I said, well, if I can't invest and <laughs> I don't get paid, why would they're I not, do this?
1: They're not selling it very hard. <laughs> yeah.
0: They said, you would do it for your country, James. You would do it for the UK economy. So on kind of thinking about it and reflecting, although it didn't make a lot of sense at the time, but I just felt, you know, imagine if I did this. Imagine if I spent the next three years of my life, you know, Identifying entrepreneurs, I could start maybe you know five hundred or thousand businesses, and ten or fifteen years from now, you know we could transform the economy. So, we could encourage entrepreneurship, and, and it becomes more of a legacy
1: than a commercial opportunity. So I decided to do it. And fast forward, you did a few more than a thousand. I've got the stats here: what fifty thousand businesses. Back since 2012, yeah. 65,000 jobs, yeah. new business every hour, unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, I,
0: we just built an amazing organization. Um, we almost created a machine. Um, yeah, where we were seeing people from all over the country. I had over 100 staff working in the company, which we all from scratch, and it became one of the most successful launches the government had ever done. And on the back of the success of um, startup loans, I was invited to Buckingham Palace and given the CBE, the Commander of the British Empire, um, in my contribution to the economy, it's, which, it, you, know,
1: it's brilliant. Actually Congratulations.
0: you know, it was such a, an amazing, humbling experience to go through that kind of process. So it, it was worth, you know, every minute right. that I spent doing that. And it just gave me a, a
1: different dimension to entrepreneurship. And so, really, that yeah, that, I mean, I think that kind of brings us up to your most recent venture. You know, so you've had this career, you have backed, evaluated, supported tens of thousands, probably over a hundred thousand entrepreneurs, and now you've kind of combined this passion for helping entrepreneurs, your expertise in the human capital and recruitment space, and you've, you've created this new venture called Recruitment Entrepreneur. And I know this is a your mission there is to help founders globally scale and um, build and then exit their own recruitment businesses and you make investments alongside them. And so let's look at that because, you know, give me the Coles notes. Who are you backing and then how did that bring you to Canada? Because I think that's really the connection that's led to you being on this podcast. And then we'll talk about the leaders, the qualities that you look. I mean, so I think when you take all of that experience together And
0: because my passion, because of my DNA, my entire career, who's been in the recruitment industry, I wanted to create an organization that allowed me to channel all my knowledge, expertise, experience in a sector that I love, that I'm very passionate about. So I created Recruitment Entrepreneur, which is a business that that is very unique in the world. There is no other company in the world that does what Recruitment Entrepreneur does. Recruitment Entrepreneur's positioning is we provide capital to entrepreneurs to help them build, scale, and ultimately exit a recruitment business. What we do is not just provide capital, but we provide a management team that can help you put the business together, design the brand, create the logo, build the website, find the offices, put in the technology, put in the CRM system, set up the back office, open the bank account, set up the company. Create, you know, marketing collateral to attract talent into the business. Help you define your customer acquisition strategy, and this is all accumulated with everything that I've done in my own businesses. So we provide literally trade into grade in terms of helping entrepreneurs build something that is scalable. And when I look at my entire career, what I find around the world is there are lots of entrepreneurs who set up recruitment businesses. But 73% of entrepreneurs in our industry never get beyond six to eight people. And there seems to be a pattern around the world that they get so far, but they always end up in the lifestyle businesses that, uh, let's be honest, but will never exit, uh, will never create value. They end up making a living, but they don't build the businesses. So what I recognize is what are the missing ingredients that prevent people from doing that. So firstly... Most people, when they set up and recruit them, they're undercapitalized. They don't set aside enough capital to attract the right people to help build the right leadership team, the right management team, and attract the right people. So undercapitalization is one of the key drivers, which is why recruiting entrepreneur will ensure that every business that it back has enough working capital to fulfill the ambition and motivation of the founder. The second reason is most people who start their own business bar typically are good billers, but they've never built a business before. They've never built an infrastructure before. They've never built a back office. They've never set up a finance function. They've never set up a HR function before. They've never had exposure to marketing and branding. You know, the key most fundamental driver is talent attraction. You know, they've had limited experience in attracting people which is fine when you're working for Michael Page or Hayes or Robert Walters, but when you're launching a new brand, it's much more challenging in attracting the quality of people you need to scale. So we bring in what we call subject matter experts in each of those areas. So each of the founders that I back have a management team that is available to them that enable them to build the right organization, with the right platform, with the right infrastructure that enables the business to scale and grow. So when you put capital with all of the right ingredients, we call them the nine characteristics of value to ensure that every business has the right platform. So when I meet founders around the world, what I find is you've got somebody who does a bit of bookkeeping that comes in twice a month. The founder pretty much is the big biller and they end up with you know two or three consultants and a couple of resources And that's as far as they get, but there's no platform, there's no brand, there's no infrastructure, it's not scalable. The business typically ends up being entirely dependent on the founder, which means it can't be exited, therefore has no actual value because without the
1: founder, the business literally falls apart. So what you really combine is you combine the knowledge of how to scale, how to build the capital and... And then the person, and of course you select, because I'm sure not every entrepreneur you meet is someone you, you choose to back. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I mean, because I think a lot of people that we meet um, around the world, they have some of the ingredients, but not all of the ingredients. Right. You know, to be honest, some just don't have the leadership capability. Some don't have the management expertise. Some just don't have the market expertise. Some just don't have the client development capability to build an organization right um, you know you need somebody who has passion who has drive who has conviction who understands their market very well who is charismatic and somebody who's a natural leader that people want to work for because recruitment as we know is all about people and we need to build an organization that has a culture that is attractive to people who want to be part of that culture that vision right. And a lot of the founders that I meet, just because they can build, does not mean they can attract right. people who want to work for them. So, and and you're I looking think for somebody, and
1: sorry, just to jump in there, James, I think this is really getting to the heart of what I think you know people listening are going to be really interested in your perspective on, because you know, of course, I have some people in the recruitment business who listen to this pod, but really, this is a time in across the corporate world, across government, across entrepreneurship, where that ability, as you say, to attract talent, to engage talent, to retain them, to get the most out of them, to get people to perform, is an imperative for all leaders at all levels, whether you're in the C-suite or the mid-level. So let's just dive into this. I know when we we were playing for this call, you identified three qualities that you look for. and, And just to summarize them, that they have charismatic leadership, that they're exceptional at managing and coaching their talent, and third, that they can help uh, inspire people to perform and be productive. So let's start with that first one of charismatic leadership. Can you describe what is your definition of char- charismatic leadership and what qualities do you look for in someone who would demonstrate it? So if we look at some of the founders that we meet,
0: building a business to create a value means you need scale. So if you, if you don't have the ability to scale, the business has no value. So a six to eight band recruitment business is considered to be a lifestyle boutique business. Now, if you're going to build scale, what does that actually mean? That means you need to get to 25 to 40 people. To attract 25 to 40 people means you've got to be quite charismatic. You've got to have the skills where people want to work with you. Why do they want to work with you? Because you can articulate your vision, where you want to be, and people want to come on that journey with you. What do I mean by charismatic leadership? People want to work for somebody they can learn from. So you've got to look at the founder or the leader saying, say, what is this person going to teach me? What am I going to get apart from money? What do I get from here? So you've got to be able to articulate your vision. How are you going to develop and grow those individuals? So the, the concept of charismatic leadership is to excite, to inspire, to motivate people to want to come and work for you because you know where you're going. You have clear vision, clear strategy, clear direction, but you're bringing something that people want, which is development. Everybody we meet Hmm. wants to to develop beyond where they are today. So a charismatic leader needs to demonstrate to that individual, by you coming and working with me, I'll make you better than you are today. And that's what we look for because those people are like magnets. People want to work for them. And if they want to work for them, We'll attract the kind of talent that will enable us to grow the
1: business and to scale it. So before we turn to the, the second question, you back so many leaders in your career, obviously most recently with Recruitment Entrepreneur, but you know with the British government, with Dragonstone. Who is the person that stands out to you when you met them, when you got to know them as best personifying this kind of charismatic leadership? Of all the people, I know it's, a, it's probably pressure to pick one, but who, who jumps to mind for you?
0: I mean, so I think what, I think what comes to mind, Bart, as somebody who personifies that, is when we went to Canada and we were looking to partner with an organization that we could work with that, that, that had the same ingredients as what we look for, you know, we came across IQ Partners in Bruce and Peter Zuckoff. Mm-hmm.
1: I know them both. Both mm-hmm. of
0: those individuals, you know, to me, are charismatic leaders. They have clarity of vision. They built already a very good organization that has really good values. You know, the people they attract are solid, high-quality individuals. So we saw a real synergy with Bruce and Pisa and IQ Partners as somebody we could work with that could bring something of value, of integrity, professionalism than when we were working with the founders. Because what we tend our model about is in every country, when we back an entrepreneur, we have what we call a local partner. And in Canada, our local partner is IQ Partners. So IQ provide all of the local infrastructure, back office, finance, accounting, marketing, HR, because they've already done that themselves they've built an organization from scratch they've implemented all of those processes and those procedures that they will share with each of the founders that we back so our founders are not reliant on our team in london or u.s or you know anywhere else they get the support locally so when you ask that you know question who stands out what
1: comes to mind for me is probably bruce and peter yeah, great, great example. Knowing both of them, I can I can see why you said that. Uh, so so let's move to your your second uh, the quality that you look for in leaders, leaders who you back and just leaders in general, which is this ability. Hey, you've attracted, you're charismatic, you've attracted the talent. All right, how do you get the most out of them? How do you build teams and ensure that they can perform at a high level? Describe to me what you look for in this area. I think the first ingredient is is they've got to
0: lead by example. Okay. You know, I've been in the recruitment industry all of my life. And the one thing that I will respect somebody who leads by example that does, can do everything he wants me to do and show me how to do it. So the characteristics of that leadership and, and I personify that in my daily life. So whenever I work with people myself, I will always be able to do what I want them to do. So I think the first thing is in a leader, can he lead by example? Can he do the job himself? Can he demonstrate, you know, the quality of his vision and his execution? So lead by example is definitely very important. We then want somebody to lead. If you want to manage and inspire people to, to grow and develop, you've got to be able to develop them from a tactical and a strategic perspective. So, you know, how are they attacking the market? What level of service are they providing? How do they penetrate those customers and, to, and develop deeper and wider relations with that customer base? A number of people who join recruitment entrepreneur, you know, may have been billing 400,000 a year. Today, are billing a million a year. We get We really get people to outperform their best year ever because we understand how to develop those individuals and show them how to build on the success that they've got. So our motto is, how do we take from good to great? Right. How do we move the needle? So I think by having somebody who buys into that culture, that how do I create a high-performing culture? How do I develop my people? How do I get them to do more than they've done before? And implementing tactics and strategies that both inspire and motivate them to do better.
1: I I like that. So, you know, again, back to what you're saying with charismatic leadership, this ability, it's not that you're managing performance. It's actually you're raising performance. You have to be able to provide both by example and by how they can and should exceed their best performance. Is that right? Yeah. Because otherwise, why are they joining you? Right. Right. You know, because if they can't see,
0: there is a future for them. Nobody moves sideways. People want to move forward. So we've got to set a structure together that can articulate and clearly demonstrate to the people that we are backing that we will be able to develop them. So the founders that we back, we turn you know managers into entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs into business people, because when they're running their own business, they're making real decisions. They are in charge of their business. They are responsible and accountable for the business they run. They'll be developed, mentored and guided guided to make good, sound commercial decisions that can change the course of the business. The reality is, you've never had to do that before, because in your previous life, you worked for, you know, a corporate a page. Well, let's be honest, ninety
1: percent of the decisions are made for right. you. <laughs> you know, you now you're now you're an, you now you're an entrepreneur, decisions. and you have to do it all. So, so I'm I'm curious. So, you have these people come to you in either from these big firms. And then you back them and they want to be an entrepreneur or they run lifestyle businesses, but they want to scale and you come so, and you partner with them. So you, you kind of have these two Correct. entry points. Now, both of those, as you've articulated, involve very different kinds of work. You know, One is a very narrow focus, the, being in the large organization, as you said, you make almost no decisions and, and you simply execute the work. And the other, you are making all decisions, but you're really more like a player than a coach. And so yeah. how... What would you, you know, we have people listening who are, who want to take the next step. Some of them do want to become an entrepreneur and leader. Some of them want to just move from an individual contributor to a leadership role. What would you say the biggest secret to making that, that shift is like what lead, what advice would you give people to say you're going to move from individual to leader? Uh, What does it take to be successful? I mean, the question I would always ask it was why, Hmm. why do you actually want to do
0: that? Because some people do it because they think it's, you know, the only next step of right? right. And it's not because they're they're not necessarily qualified for it. But, you know, otherwise, does that mean I'm just going to be a biller? So I think I really want to understand why is it that you think you want to make that move? What is it that's inspiring you to want to do that? Do you really understand what's involved with it? So I think for me, the why is always the critical factor Because I would say in 70% of cases, people do it without really thinking it through. So, you know, and the truth of the matter is, it's not easy. And if you don't have the right characteristics, because just because you can build does not mean you can manage. Hmm. You know, and, and we've both seen that in our careers. A lot of people get promoted into a leadership or management role because they happen to be the biggest biller. But we also see that they are not always the natural leaders of those businesses. So the first thing I generally want to understand is why is it that you want to do that? What is it that you think you bring to the table? And how is it that you feel that you can translate your experience across other people? Because it's not easy.
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're bang on. And, and do you really want to do that? I mean, I was just at a conference. and I'm, I'm, uh, you know I've been privileged to... Um, come into the business. My mom had started the company. She was an incredible individual contributor. And she was very clear to or solopreneur, I should say, that she did not want to build a business. And I came along and said, well, I want to build a business. And, you know, eventually I was fortunate to be able to do that. But I, I t- it was challenging because she didn't want that growth. She didn't. She liked being with the client and not having to deal with all the process people and systems. Uh, that was more my passion. But I often do have entrepreneurs in the training company space who say oh i should how do i get to you know two million five million ten million I say well you know you got to ask yourself if you really want to so i think that's that's a great question to ask and i think once you once you ask you know
0: why is it that you want to do that and then secondly are you actually aware of what's involved because i think once people understand yes What's
1: actually involved? <laughs> they realise it's probably not for them, right? And th- yeah, and, and then the third that, one that and will you enjoy that? Will you actually enjoy <laughs> that work? And most
0: don't. And I think the, <laughs> the best piece of advice I can ever give anybody if if once you understand what's involved, if it's not you, the best advice I can give you is don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and sometimes
1: knowing. What you shouldn't be doing is just as powerful as knowing what you should be doing. Is there, a th- is there a ceiling for people where they're like, this is as high as I can or should go? No, I think the ceiling is only ever set by the individual.
0: Okay. You know, when I've looked through my career, I'm not competing with anybody else. I'm competing against my own capability. Everybody that we meet, you know, a recruitment entrepreneur, some will build a business to 10 people. Some will get it to 20, some will get it to 40, some will get it to 100. My most successful entrepreneur currently is managing 323 wow. people and has grown an extraordinary business. Now, what separates those people is they all have a different goal and a different ambition and a different set of skill. They're not all the same. You know, some get to 20 and feel so excited, so motivated that they've got to their level you know, somebody else gets to 50 and feels they've just started. Some get to a hundred. So everybody is different. And I don't think you should try and compete. Mm -hmm. I think you should grow a business that that takes you to your capabilities and your comfort level.
1: I love that. And I, I think, you know, what I'm hearing from you, you know, just to summarize what you look for, you know, first, that charismatic leadership, that ability to articulate the vision and draw people to you. Secondly, that ability to help talent perform, to really give them clarity, whether it's systems, process, or modeling it yourself that allows them to excel, which is why they want to stay with you and grow. And third is really, I'm just going to kind of group it into the self-awareness, right? Your self-awareness of what is your purpose, what's driving you, and what's the size of, whether it's business or role, if you're in a corporation, you want to get to. That that kind of self-awareness allows you to go as far as you should go. Does that sum it up? It does. And I think what makes it super
0: engaging and exciting is our founders then start working with other founders that share in their vision, that share in their ambitions. So they become part of forums where founders work together in similar markets, in similar segments, where they exchange ideas, they share best practices, they look at how other people are executing their vision, and by working with people like yourself and like-minded individuals, it makes the journey so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes it so much more engaging. And what I found is people learn as much from each other as they learn from a classroom yes. environment. So we do a lot of a lot of work on shared learning, where we try and encourage as many as are our founders and put them into groups of similar sizes or. Or synergistic in their specific market sectors, um, and it, you create this kind of global community where you're not just interacting with founders in Canada, but you're interacting with founders in the U.S., you're interacting with founders in Europe, and you can see how different people have developed their success to different levels. So, you know, if you're a founder with me and you've got to ten people, but you want to get to twenty, then I'll put you with a group of people who are already at twenty. You know, if you're building a group where people are doing 10 million a year, if you're at 10 and you want to get to 20, so that becomes such a, a great powerful. benchmark because it demonstrates to, that everything you want to do, somebody's already done that and they'll right. share with you because we're part of the same family, we're part of the same investor group and therefore people are not trying to hide, you know, they're very open, they're very engaging and they will they'll share because that's our culture.
1: I totally agree. I mean, for me as an entrepreneur, having that community of entrepreneurs and the open transparency in my industry has been invaluable. And it, and as a, as this conversation has been invaluable, I know I know we could go on. I, I want to be mindful of your time because I, I could talk to you for three hours about, about all of this. But what I'm really taking away, and what I hope everyone listening is taking away from someone who has achieved so much as you have, is that you know, the ability to go from an individual contributor to a leader, to a business builder is something that's within your power. It's a skill. It comes from that charismatic leadership, the ability to help others success, but it's really about how you can make others great. And it's, but you've got to know <laughs> that you want to do it. And if you do, there are people like yourself out there who will support you. So, absolutely. You know, Thank you. Thank you so much, James, for coming on the pod where I know you have an incredible social media following. Tell people listening how they can learn more from you and and connect with you. Um, If you simply go on to LinkedIn,
0: look, um, just reach out, connect with me at LinkedIn. James Khan, recruitment entrepreneur. I'd be delighted to hear from anybody in Australia. Love to share with you our journey, our vision for what we want to build Uh, in Canada. And what I'm super excited by is meeting like-minded entrepreneurs in Canada who have a passion and a desire to build a business in recruitment. They can really be proud of where they can not just build a business, but they can create wealth and ultimately build a legacy.
1: Thank you so much. I know what you and IQ are doing here in Canada and globally is going to be exciting for any entrepreneur who wants to build so appreciate your time we'll put links to your social and recruitment entrepreneur in the show notes and thanks for being on the inspire podcast lovely to talk to you take care hope you enjoyed my conversation today with james Kahn. Uh, really impressive individual and appreciate the number of entrepreneurs and leaders he's seen in his career and the insights that he had to share about what makes them successful Follow him on social. He produces great content and check out the links that we've shared in the show notes. Next time on the pod, I'm pleased to welcome Nate Breger. Nate is the author of Compassion Accountability. I've known him for a few years. He's he's a really bright and clear thinker. He has this new book coming out. It's released right around the time of this episode. Um, And he looks at why compassion and accountability are not opposing ideas, but in fact, imperatives for leaders to pursue simultaneously. So it's a great conversation in this day and age. And I hope you'll tune in next time to hear it. Thanks so much. If you're enjoying the pod, please rate and review it. It's how we get noticed and how we get heard. And thanks for making the Inspire Podcast great.